Good morning. Welcome once again to Connection Point Church. I'm glad you are here. My name is Joel Halpin. I'm the pastor of this church. We are going to uh, conclude our series called Divine Clues. And uh, if this is your first time here, that's uh, it's actually the best Sunday for you to be here because I think that we're ending this series in probably what I think is one of the most powerful ways. The premise of this series, we started it five weeks ago, and we looked basically at my journey of my life, and I, I thought it might be applicable to some of you, and basically how we all go through this, this phase in our life where we take the faith of our parents, possibly, or our childhood faith, or maybe we have no faith, and, and we come to this moment where we have to decide, what am I going to believe about God, and kind of reorient our adult lives, if you will, about that. And so for me... That happened in college, and I began to go through this process of just, instead of trying to find proof that God exists, I began to just kind of look at the clues and, and decided, I'm going to make the best decision I can make. And so in this series, I've just kind of pointed out some of the clues that have, have molded my spiritual journey. We looked at the first three clues, which were kind of these big clues of, does God even exist? We looked at the fine-tuning of the universe and some of the things that we see in creation. We looked at some things that were a little uh, more, I, I would say, abstract. We looked at things like the existence of love, the existence of purpose in our life. We even looked at the existence of good and evil, some of these big things. Just to answer that big question, does God exist? But then last week we got a little more zeroed in and we looked at as the... As Paul said, he said, if Christ was not raised from the dead, then our faith is futile. And so we investigated how the evidence for the resurrection, the historical evidence of the resurrection, uh, really makes a difference for us as Christ's followers. And so we looked at three or four facts that every single scholar agrees on about the resurrection of Jesus. And we said, we said if this is true, then that's a good clue as to where we should put our focus. But today I want to go to the biggest clue of all, the one that for years I would have denied that this clue was even a clue. You see, there's a moment in John chapter 10 in which people, uh, Jesus has been preaching, he's been teaching, and they doubt whether Jesus really is who he says he is, that he's really the son of God. And Jesus says something interesting. He says, if you're not going to believe in me, believe in the miracles. Believe in the signs. The last thing we're going to talk about, we're going to look this, this day, we're going to look at the miracles. If you've ever questioned whether or not God exists, or, or why should I go to church, why should I follow Jesus, my, my biggest answer to you would be, what about the miracles? And some of you are saying, you know what, if I had a miracle, then I would believe. And so what we're going to do today is I want to show you four miracles. Now, when we th think about a miracle, we think about something supernatural. That is something that naturally can't be done, and it takes power from the supernatural. And that's exactly what we see all over this church. The first experience was from me personally. I'll tell you, there was a time in my life where I struggled with so many things. In fact, it still continues to this day. There's so many things that grab a hold of me. For me, for 20 years, I was under a cloud of depression, and I tried everything I could do to free myself. And it wasn't until I finally gave every bit of that struggle over to Jesus, 
every bit of it. And in a supernatural moment, and it may not happen like this for you, but for me, I had a pastor come and pray over me. And in this moment of his prayer, something that I had been trying on my own to do for years, in a moment, this cloud of depression, these thoughts of, of suicide and, and these dark thoughts were taken from me. And not once since then has this struggle returned. Though I tried for 20 years on my own to make this happen. Today I want us to look at the lives of what Jesus is doing in very ordinary people just like me. And things that we have seen where we couldn't do, but God did. First person I want to introduce to you today is Chase Green. Y'all give him a hand. Good morning. So a lot of you know me, and there are a few of you who might not. So my name is Chase Green, and I have been a Christ follower for around 11 years or so. Um, the story I want to share with you today doesn't start back 11 years ago. It actually starts about four months ago. So it was perfect timing for this series, right? <laughs> um, I, uh, I've been a Christ follower for 11 years, but one thing I have to be honest with is there's a part of my life that I've never been willing to follow him on, and that's my health specifically in regards to how and what I feed my body. Um, before you check out, I don't want you to think that what I'm going to share with you, I'm sharing with the hopes that maybe I could shame somebody into making better decisions for themselves. Uh, it's never worked for me that way. So what I do want to share with you, though, is I just want to share with you how giving this struggle over to Jesus has radically changed my life in so many ways. So the story kind of starts about four months ago. I was at home one, uh, one evening late with my wife, Ashley, and uh, I told her, hey, I, I think I want to make another go at trying to get my health in order. And I don't remember what her initial response was, but if it was an eye roll, it's well-deserved. <laughs> I've, I've drug her through so many different crazy food programs, weight loss programs, anything you can think of it, I've, I've asked her to go through it with me. And I don't ever pick easy ones. It's always got to be something extreme. And this evening was no exception. I, uh, I told her, I said, I think I want to I wanna try a plant-based diet. I said, I want to do something to reverse a lot of these health issues that I have. And immediately she's like, I hear what you're saying, but Chase, you don't like vegetables. <laughs> and I said, I know, I know, this could be problematic. But I was on fire at the moment. You know, I was ready to go. So I just knew it's not going to be a problem. I'm just going to use willpower. I'll just fight through it. It's going to be willpower. So, fast forward a few days later, we start the diet. And I don't know if you've ever done a plant-based diet, but it is as difficult as advertised. I was, probably the first couple of weeks, I was in tears almost every single day. I was a mess. Uh, I hated it. I, it really showed me in that first couple of weeks how completely addicted I was to just an unhealthy lifestyle of just eating junk food all the time. All the time. I, I was using bad food and just poor choices as a way to cope with just difficult stresses in life. I used it whenever things were good. That's how I celebrated. It's the only way I knew how to celebrate. And then I would use it whenever it was just a, you know, a moment to fill in just those boring, mundane moments of just everyday life. It was just my filler. And I realized very early on, I don't know where my joy is outside of this behavior. Like I didn't know how to be happy. And that was a really, really scary thought for me to realize that 
if I don't continue to run to this, I don't know where I'm going to find my happiness. So, you know, I told Ashley, I said, this, this is going to be tough. I don't know how I'm going to do this. And right along the same time that I'm struggling in this very early goings to stick with this, she had encouraged me. She said, you should, you should start a social media account and put stuff out there. Put pictures and videos out there, and maybe people will encourage you. Who knows? That could be a really nice avenue for you to share this with. And uh, just don't tell anybody that you know about it. You know, people online will, will look at it. And I thought, yeah, that's the accountability I'm ready for right now. So I did. I created this account. I put it out there. And then something really scary happened. Some of you started following it. Daniel Montgomery, you were one of the early ones. And I got a little nervous, more than a little nervous, because I thought, I don't want these people to know what I'm doing. I didn't want my church family, my friends, anybody to know what I was doing. Because so many of you have seen me try stuff in the past, and I've just tried to soldier through and power through it. So I didn't want to share it, because I was afraid. I was afraid, and I didn't believe the best in the people that love and care about me. I thought, well, they're not going to trust that I'm going to be able to do this. They're not going to encourage me. They're going to probably, you know, roll their eyes. So I was super reluctant. I talked with Ashley about it, thought about it some more, and I decided I'll just go ahead and let people follow it. I wanted to be super vulnerable there, put everything out there, and I decided I'll go ahead and do it, and I'll just see what happens. So... It wasn't too far after I started, maybe like a month and a half in or so, I reached out to two of my closest friends, and that is Joel Halpin and Joey Williams. It's, uh, it just seemed natural to reach out to them because they've, they've walked with me and, and supported me through a lot of failed efforts in the past. So it, was just, it just felt like, well, I should reach out to them because I was struggling. It was very, very difficult. And I thought, I'll give them a call. But I wanted something different this time. I wanted to ask them for something that, to me, felt very radical. So I was very hesitant to even call them. I reached out to them, and I just admitted, hey, I'm a mess right now. I struggle to be happy any day. I feel like I'm always down. I don't know, I don't know how to be happy right now. And I believe, I truly believe, that like through the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus can change my addictive behavior. He can change the way my heart looks at it, the way my mind looks at it. But I really just want to ask. And I told him, I, I need you to pray for me. And I didn't know how they were going to receive it. But they were overjoyed that I reached out to them, ready to get on board right again, just like they have all the other times. So that was a great feeling. And a couple days later, one of them actually came over to my house and actually laid hands on me and prayed over me. Now, I would like to tell you that in that moment... Like my house started to shake a little bit and the clouds started to open up and it was, a really, it was this divine moment. But the truth is, it wasn't like that. I was just trying to step out with an obedient faith to believe that Jesus wants me to get this under control and wants to be my helper. So I just put myself out there. Now, from that night going forward, I continued to struggle. It wasn't easy. But it got easier. I remember, I, anybody who's ever struggled with any like bad eating habits or stuff knows what like a trigger food is. I've got lots of different trigger foods, and my biggest one is pizza. It's, it's my everything. So I have to be very careful sometimes when I'm around it. Um, in the past, that's a lot of times where I would just blow things. If I get around unhealthy food and stuff like that, I just kind of give up. But I got to where... 
I started to have strength and some willpower to kind of continue to fight through that. I could be around these foods and not cave and give in. I was actually finding that there was happiness in seeing success in my journey and success in my health. And that happiness was bigger than a food high. So I was actually able to go out and buy pizza for my kids. We have a crazy day. We don't have time to cook something. Grab chicken nuggets and fries and bring it home and sit there with them while they eat it and not join in. Because I was so excited about what Jesus was doing in my life and the results that I was seeing. I wanted it more. So that was a very, very exciting thing. And I want to share with you a moment that I experienced. I was probably, I don't know, two and a half months or so in. And by that point, things were really humming. They were going really well. And I thought, it's just, this feels incredible. I've never felt like things were going so well. And it was late one evening. I just got done doing a workout. I was talking to Jesus in the shower, because that's where we all talk to Jesus. And I remember asking him, what is it about this time that's so special. Like, why have you all of a sudden decided to give me ability? I've been asking you for, for years. Why didn't you do it when I was 19 and all of this started for me? Why couldn't you have helped me then? Maybe, maybe when I threw my back out, you know, when I was 27 and I had to go on disability for seven months, you could have done it then. That would have been great too. Or you maybe could have even done it last year when I tried this, lost a bunch of weight and then gave up and gained it all back. Could have done it then too. What is it that's so special about right now that you've decided to give me this ability? And that's when I felt like the Holy Spirit gave me a word. And he reminded me of John chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. Now, full disclosure, he reminded me of the words. I didn't know what verse it was. So I had to look it up. I'm not that good with verses. So I want to share that with you. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. And that was kind of when I had this aha moment. This question that I'd been asking and wondering was very clear to me. Anybody in here that's known me for any length of time knows that I have a history when it comes to my health. I have a history and a proven pattern of failure and giving up. That is me. That's, that's what I've brought to the table every single time. But something's different now. And I know that those of you who know me well know that something's different now. And I finally get it that the reason God has done this for me is so that he will get the glory for what's happening in my life right now. I'm so excited to be here and share this with you guys today because you get to hear about what he's doing in me. Because you've seen what I try to do, and I don't do great. But he's doing so much right now for me, and it's so exciting to get to share and just to, to see his love and his grace just being acted out in my life and the success that I'm able to have. So I'm now four months in, and I'm down 115 pounds. Thank you. I've managed to reverse my type 2 diabetes in that time, and I also, my high blood pressure is basically non-existent. So all these things that I wanted to change have changed relatively quick. Very easy for me to think, wow, this is, I have a long way to go, but so much has happened in the very early part of it. And, you know, you might, you might think or other people might think that, well, God's, God's blessing him because, I mean, he's, he's probably down on his knees every single day just praying. 
Or he's got his head just stuck in his Bible, constantly just reading the word. But the truth is, I don't. I am and will always be a work in progress. But the one thing that really, really gets me excited and just fills my heart is to know that even if I'm lazy on my disciplines, God is never lazy on his promises. Thank you for listening. Good morning. My name is Detlef Domogolski, and uh, just like you, I'm a sinner. So uh, I started off in church, uh, born and raised in the church, so to speak. Went to church on Wednesdays, twice on Sundays, wore a suit and a tie. You had to wear a suit and a tie, otherwise you weren't doing the work, you know? So it was kind of one of those things where my picture of God was skewed, very skewed. I thought of God to be high and mighty and uh, you had to be perfect in order to receive his love and unfortunately none of us can be perfect so I wasn't ever going to receive his love there was no way that was going to happen um, and so I kind of walked away from from church and believing and I mean I believed in God but I just didn't like the God who I believed in and so at a young age about the age of 15 I started smoke smoke pot um, not just tinker with it. I mean, I did it. Uh, I smoked all day, every day. I was a functional pothead, uh, successful in the world's eyes, so to speak. I mean, I went to college. That's when I really walked away from God. I did a lot of hardcore drugs, ecstasy, cocaine, pills. I mean, you name it, I did it, and I did it really big. You know, I think I, I did 13 pills of ecstasy one time in one night and was able to still live. And so, this went on for five years of college that I vaguely remember, but, uh, you know, it was there. And um, then I lost my best friend. Uh, he OD'd. He passed away. And it really, it really hurt. Um, it opened my eyes to realize that, you know, there's got to be something better than just drugs and living for yourself and abusing relationships and things like that. So, uh, luckily, God intervened and he sent somebody into my life uh, who asked me to go to California for a job. And believe it or not, while I was doing all these drugs, I was actually a criminal justice major. So, yeah, I know. Uh, but uh, I ended up going to California, one for the job and then one just to get away from the drug scene because no matter where I would go, drugs was going to be there. I mean, I knew everybody and everybody knew I was one to say yes no matter what. I mean, you name it. Again, I was going to do it. So I moved to California, got away from heavy drugs, but uh, kept smoking pot all the time. You know, in the world's eyes, I was, I was, you know, king of the hill. I was number one sales guy at the company and did a lot, a lot of things really well. The difference is, though, and this is what I know a lot of people struggle with, is we have a perception. And so, you know, I would go to, go to work in a suit and a tie with a comb over, and people thought I was all good because I looked respectable. But the whole time I was struggling with pot, and I still, I mean, it was just incredible. You know, I'd, I'd smoke 10, 20 times a day, wake up, smoke a bowl. After breakfast, smoke a bowl on my way to work, smoke. Take a break at work, smoke. Go to lunch, smoke. Everything was just smoke. It was all built around pot. And um, one day on my way to, on my way to, to, uh, to work, I turned on the radio station, and it was a Christian station. 
and I started listening every morning. It was like an appointment where I would literally get up and go to work, and I would still smoke, but I would I would listen to this pastor. His name was Pastor Chuck Smith, and uh, he's a pastor there in California. I didn't know who he was at the time, but I would listen to him every morning. And what was cool about it is that every time I would listen to him, I didn't feel a lot of shame and condemnation like I did before. I felt some conviction, but I didn't feel like shame and condemnation. And so every morning it was like I had this appointment and I was learning who God really was. And I was learning about his grace and his love and how you know, God, God loves us no matter what. And so then I decided one day to go to church. It was actually a Sunday afternoon and I hadn't been in years. And so I decided to go. What was really cool about it is it was like another appointment. This was like divine intervention. So I go to this church on a Sunday night, and I had no clue what church I was going to. It was just a church that I had passed by before. So I went to the church, and I, I went inside. And lo and behold, just right on the you know, monitor, it said, home of Pastor Chuck Smith. Yeah, I was like, whoa, okay. I mean, this is a tall telling sign here. I got I to gotta sit down. And so I did. And it was interesting because that was the first time I had seen people actually worship God with their hands in the air. And it was the first time I saw people receiving God with their hands. And I don't know, just being so open with themselves. But I knew I was in the right place. So then I come. it comes to a Sunday. And then on Sunday morning, uh, they would have the pastors line up and you would, they would do prayer for you if you wanted prayer. And again, that's something I wasn't accustomed to when I was growing up. So what I did then is I came up for prayer, and I looked for the guy that looked kind of like me, uh, young, good-looking. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> um, but no, really, he was, you know, he was like a, he was a like Hispanic-looking guy, and he was younger than the other people, and I felt like he wouldn't judge me. And so what happened is uh, he, he pulled me away from, from the congregation because I, I was having trouble telling him what my problems were. Because uh, I, I did feel shame, and I, I didn't know how to open up like that. And what was really unique about it is, again, I, I don't know how God is just amazing what he does when he does it. And this guy, Tommy, he just opened up his heart to me, and he said, hey, man, look, just so you know, you know, I was a drug lord. I was actually a, a drug, you know, kingpin. And I was a leader of gangs. And I've committed adultery. I've committed fornication. I've done every drug in the book. I know exactly what you're talking about. Now, I got to open up to him, and that was great. That was really healing for me. And he actually had this, this ministry that he invited me to come to. And he was like, hey, man, even if you're high, come. He's like, I don't care, because God, God, God actually loves you, and he saves you while you're a sinner. And that, that was, again, radical for me because I thought I had to be perfect. So this whole time, in all these years, God's just changing my heart. He's changing my vision of who he is. And he's, we're growing in that relationship. And so this ministry he had is called One Step. It's not 12 steps. It's just one step. And it's one step to Jesus. And so I would go, and I learned, and I learned, and I learned. And it was great. I was still smoking all the time. I'd go in and out, in and out. But I was still pretty much smoking all the time. So then I moved to Texas. Come to Texas, still struggling, so to speak, going in and out, in and out, in and out. And then finally one day, um, I'm in my living room. It was just me and God. And it was pretty awesome. 
Because at that moment, I finally learned, well, I didn't learn. I guess he allowed me to do it. But I learned to die to myself. And so I was crying like a little baby on my living room floor. I was crying, and I just asked God to kill me. Like, literally, kill me. I really didn't care at that point if I was going to live or die, but I was just done living the way I was living. So instead of killing me, thankfully, I just kept crying and crying, sobbing, and then the tears turned to joy. And then I just started laughing. And it was random. I mean, that's random. That's just so weird to me that all that stuff would happen, but it happened. And I was laughing in a good way. It was just amazing. And I felt almost like the presence of God for the first time, really like in my house, in my room, inside of me. And something told me that it was over. My struggle was over. So I went a couple days, and uh, I tried to smoke pot again, and it just wasn't the same. It really wasn't. I didn't get the high that I got before. I didn't feel bad. It just wasn't the same. So the last time I actually smoked, I smoked with my dealer, and I told him about Jesus. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty, pretty awesome. Well, the funny thing is, too, he didn't even know about Jesus, really. So I told him all about it, and then, anyways, he... He's an awesome guy, too. He really is. God loves him. And so what's awesome is, is now I still struggle with other things. Like, it's not like over, right? It's not like, oh, yeah, boom. I mean, I, I kind of thought that it would be that way. Like, oh, okay, cool. Now life's gravy, and I'm, I'm good. But no, now I have other struggles and things like that. But the nice thing is, is it's a joyful struggle because now I know who I am. And that's that I'm actually a son of God. And, you know, when we're baptized, it's not to go to heaven. It's not a get-out-of-hell-free card. That's really not what it's about. It's to restore our relationship with Jesus and with the Father. And once you know that you're a son like that, it changes everything. Because I no longer have the need to go after those things anymore. I want him. And it's only by his grace and his mercy that that was able to happen. Well, thank you for listening. Good morning. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Jill, and I'm really excited to share my personal testimony with all of you. Growing up, I was raised going to church every Sunday, and it wasn't the place where I truly met God. I didn't feel convicted by sermons, and Jesus was someone that I had heard of but never met. And after my confirmation, I was not really held accountable to continue going to church. I was given the option by my parents, and I just chose not to go. So I want to start my real story with you at the place in my life where I'm in college. 18-year-old me was a very different me than the me I am now. I struggled to make friends. I struggled to manage my time. College was completely overwhelming me. I couldn't keep my grades up in my first semester, and I felt isolated and depressed. I made many unnecessary trips home, 
and in turn beg friends from home to come and visit me because I was alone. It took a few months, but I finally met some girls on my floor who asked me to hang out with them, and I quickly agreed. I also quickly fell into a lifestyle where I was drinking multiple nights a week, continuing to struggle with my classes and just falling deeper and deeper into depression. I continued to feel alone, surrounded by hundreds of people in nightclubs. For three years, my relationships with my friends revolved around drinking, and my relationship with my boyfriend revolved around drinking and having sex. My first day of senior year, I met Kelly. She loved the Lord, and she didn't care who knew it. She was in all of my classes, and I would constantly think, why is this weird girl in all of my classes? I made fun of her joy consistently, and she didn't care. She just poured out love on everyone every day. I remember her making us all cupcakes on November 11th, 2011, and she just put 11s all over them. And everyone asked, what's so special about today? And she would reply with, I'm always looking for a reason to celebrate. Kelly invited me to the Christian fellowship group that was meeting on my campus weekly, and it took her months to wear me down until I agreed to go. I remember being so nervous for that meeting. Would all of the people be weird? <laughs> would they have some kind of intervention for me? Would they judge me for my drinking or for having premarital sex? I felt so silly when I walked in and they were all playing catchphrase. <laughs> Apparently this night was a game night for them, so we just played games for an hour and had some laughs. And I noticed that all of the people were like Kelly. They were happy. They weren't quick to judge. They didn't care what you wore or who your other friends were. After that, I agreed to attend weekly meetings where we would sing worship music and study the Bible together. There was one night in particular where we had invited a guest speaker to come. He was a local pastor, and most of my group already knew him. They said that his sermons were amazing, and everyone was so excited to hear him come speak. That afternoon, it had began to snow, and school had canceled all of our classes. The group sent out a message that even though school was closed, the pastor was still on his way. So if you could make it, then you could hear him speak. I had invited a few of my friends, and Kelly was also planning on riding with me. And all of them told me, don't worry about it. We don't have to go tonight. We can just catch him another time. And normally, I would agree, mostly because I hate driving in the snow. But for some reason, I had this terrible nagging feeling that I needed to be there. So one of my friends offered to drive, and we all agreed that we would go. We were unable to dig her car out from its spot, and the snow grew to about six inches deep, unplowed. And everyone again was ready to throw in the towel. I pleaded with them, I will drive. Let me dig my car out, and we will go. And the nagging feeling just continued. I dug my car out, and it took me over an hour to get to school, which is normally a five-minute drive. I don't even remember what message was preached that night. The entire sermon, I just felt God pulling at me. I couldn't even pay attention. I just feel like something was washing over me. At the end of the sermon, the pastor said, If any of you feel compelled to give your lives over to Jesus right now, please come let me know. And with that, the nagging just grew worse. Go do it, the nagging said. My thoughts, what? 
I don't even know what giving my life over looks like. And people will watch me, and I can just do this another time. Go do it, it echoed. And I obeyed. I walked over to the pastor, and I said, I want to give my life to Jesus. And the pastor sat me down and said, tell me more about that. I said, I don't even know what I'm doing. <laughs> I just feel compelled to do this, and I don't know much about Jesus or how to follow him. And with that, I began sobbing uncontrollably. I couldn't stop crying. And at the time, I didn't know why. But I could tell you now that it was because God was speaking to me for the very first time. And he was moving me toward him, and I was so grateful to pray that night for Jesus to enter my life and that I begin to live my life according to God's plan. Throughout the rest of my college career, I was on fire for the Lord. I fed people who were homeless almost every weekend. I attended church weekly, belonged to a small group, took on a leadership role in my Christian fellowship group on campus. But upon my graduation and my return home from school, my life changed again. I started hanging out with my old friends, began drinking again, couldn't find a church to call home, and lost my entire Christian support system. My fire for the Lord, once massive and strong, was now burnt out, and I couldn't seem to find my way to God. About a year after returning home, I was out one night celebrating a friend's birthday. I made many poor decisions, including getting very intoxicated, getting in a fight with my friends, and hitting on random strangers, all the time having a boyfriend. My night of terrible decisions culminated with the stupidest decision yet. I asked a random stranger to give me a piggyback ride to my car because I was too intoxicated and too cold to walk myself. The stranger happily agreed and bent down so that I could climb on his back. I jumped up onto his shoulders and he had been standing on black ice. He fell and I flew right over him, landing face first on a concrete sidewalk. I was too intoxicated to even place my arms out in front of myself to break my fall. My friends and sister gathered around me calling 911 and trying to keep me awake as my face bled out all over the sidewalk. In the emergency room, I wasn't even allowed to answer questions for myself. I was told I was too drunk to make my own decisions and my sister was awarded my temporary power of attorney. The doctor explained to me that I needed many tests. They needed to see if my jaw was broken. They needed to see if I had a spinal cord injury. They needed to see if I had brain damage. The doctor was already certain that I needed stitches because when I fell, I split my chin open to the bone and I was still bleeding. My sister agreed to all of my testing and then we just waited. The doctor came back a few hours later and told us that other than a mild concussion in my chin, I was fine. No eating through a straw for a year to repair a fractured jaw. No paralysis, no brain injury, no internal bleeding, nothing. And then he said, whoever your God is, he was watching over you tonight and you better thank him. And with that, he left. And I just laid there thinking, duh, of course. God, how had I so quickly forgotten him? There I was, the lowest I had ever been in my life, wasted and injured and needing to be peeled off of a sidewalk, and the Lord was there. He was always there. And he gave me another chance to live my life without any medical complication. 
After that night, I dove headfirst back into my faith. I soon moved to Texas for work, and I found a church home. I told my boyfriend at that time I didn't want to have sex anymore, and I didn't want to be drunk anymore. I wanted to fully surrender my life to God, and I was baptized. My boyfriend at that time was an atheist. He didn't want our lifestyle as a couple to change. He liked it just how it had always been. By that point, we had been together about five years, and we had already had conversations about marriage. But after I was baptized, our whole dynamic changed. He was shaming me for praying in public, telling me that I looked like I was crazy because I wasn't actually talking to anyone. Our fights became daily over many different things that all centered around my faith. In the last three months of our relationship, I heard God nagging me again. It's over. I felt so defeated. I wasn't willing to give up on a relationship that I had spent five years working on. Every night I prayed about it, and God would say, it's over. I told myself that it wasn't possible for so many reasons. My friends and family all knew and loved him, and at the time I was financially supporting him. I kept praying that God would just change his mind. But over and over, God kept revealing to me different reasons why my relationship was over. There's no way that I could have ended that relationship without God. There's no way that in my own strength, in my own courage, that I could have left. But eventually, I listened to God's direction for my life, and I left him. I prayed for my happiness and asked God why he had to take away my happiness. And for those of you who know me, you know that God's plan for me was so much bigger than one guy that just couldn't acknowledge the Lord. And little did I know that God had my future husband waiting just around the corner. When I think about my testimony, I think about, sorry, when I think about my testimony, I think about being picked up off of a sidewalk as a mess and being made a new creation. I think about being forgiven and never judged for all of my sinfulness. I think about my happiness now and how it doesn't even compare to what I really thought happiness was. My best advice to people who aren't believers would be, if you look around and you see someone who's overly kind and overly hopeful, maybe even irritatingly so, and you want to feel that way, ask that person what it is that makes them so happy and so hopeful, because I guarantee that it's Jesus. Thank you. you're here this morning and a part of you was in one or all of these stories, I just want to encourage you. Maybe you think, you know what, where's my miracle? Well, the good news is if you look around this room, you'll see people who have struggled to walk. Maybe they felt as if they were blind and couldn't see the future. Maybe they felt as if they were locked in a prison and would never escape. But over and over again, when we look to why, why do we follow Jesus? It's because you can look around this room and you can see that the, the blind still receive sight, that the lame are still given to walk, that the prisoners are still set free. Miracles are happening every day. And if you need a miracle, I promise you, 
Jesus can do for you what he has done for these stories as well. Jesus still changes lives, and he changed my life as well. So I just want to conclude this series with just this invitation, and it's the same invitation that Jesus gave when he, when he would, any time that he would give the blind sight or that he would invite the lame to walk. See, Jesus says, here I am, I stand at the door and I knock. Anyone who, who comes in, you will eat with me, you will dine with me. You will have fellowship with God. And just like Detlef said, your identity will no longer be an addict or a failure or one who can't. But you will be seen, you will become a child of God. You know what makes following Jesus so much different? And hopefully you saw it in these stories. Is we have the only faith that says, you know what, our strength is our weakness. When we get to that point where we understand, I cannot do this. I cannot fix this. That's when we receive a miracle and Christ moves in us. Let's pray. Lord, right now in this moment, I lift up every person in this room who feels as if they've reached a point in their life in which they just cannot go on. They cannot solve whatever they're facing on their own. So Lord, in this moment, I pray that you'll begin to speak to them and let them see that it's never been about them fixing themselves. That there's not one story in the Bible of you walking up to someone and say, why can't you just do this on your own? There's not one instance where you've gone to a sinner and says, fix yourself and maybe you'll deserve to be forgiven. Lord, in our weakness, we come to you. In our inability to do anything for ourselves, broken, sinful, you come, you forgive us. And then you raise us to walk a new life. Lord, everyone up here may struggle again. But they will never walk back into those prisons because you have set them free. So, Lord, we rejoice in our Savior. We thank you for being a God that hasn't hidden himself. You have revealed yourself with divine clues. The number one thing you've done is you've changed our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.